0: Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 781.
1: I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm George Conger. Today is January 13th, Friday the 13th, 2023.
0: All right, thank you for joining us on another program of Anglican Unscripted. We're glad you could be here. Okay, we're glad we could be here. You know, it's not easy to show up here twice a week. George runs a full-time church uh, and has church duties. You were at a hospital today uh, uh, doing a visitation before the show. I, on a Friday, sometimes like to sleep in wasn't happening. had a, a customer email me this morning so I had to do my stuff and we are very gracious that uh, God has allowed us the time to do this and that has allowed us the audience to to do what we love. This is kind of our, our side hustle and it's a lot of fun, George. Um, how you doing?
1: I am being run off my feet. Uh, for some reason, this is uh, uh, government frustration day. I've got two parishioners in prison one in a county jail, facing a DUI charge, the other in the state jail, serving in, on her third year of a five-year term for, for theft. And the, the state of Florida has changed how they do visitations, how they do letters. It used, you, I would write her every two weeks or so, and she'd get a letter, I'd send cards. State of Florida announced, instead of mailing to the to prison, you have to mail to a central place where they'll scan it, and then they will give the scan to the uh inmate and i can understand this because people put drugs inside cars sure. yeah and it's but just another step uh, another step in the dehumanization of evil uh i'm not saying the state is wrong to do this it's probably a good choice but it's just another thing when you're in prison and you know letters are so important uh communication with the outside world and then uh I'm trying to find uh, foster care for a six-year-old and eight-year-old whose parents are meth addicts who live in the woods. Uh, uh, good Episcopalians, of course. Uh, they wear they wear loafers and uh, uh, drive a Volvo, drink wine and cheese, and live in the woods. And are meth heads, crackheads. And uh, in doing all this, uh, they have a grandmother who's disabled in the parish, who's unable to care for them. My wife told me as soon as I mentioned the problem, no. I said, no, what? No, we are not taking yeah. it. Yeah. Um, we're having trouble with three dogs, let alone a six-year-old and eight-year-old. And, you know, in Florida, we have 20,000 children in foster care, and there's 6,000 waiting placement. So as soon as we get the paperwork done and all this and that, they're at 6,001 and 2. And these, these, these kids, you know, the eight-year-old can't read or write. Uh, they have behavioral issues. They have taken upon themselves, their parents' uh, bad uh, behaviors. They've never been socialized, if you will. They're wild children. I don't know how badly damaged they are. They're going to need extensive social services and care. Maybe forever, I don't know. I don't even know if there's fetal alcohol syndrome involved in this as well. But I just am so struck by the evil and depravity that we have in society and the massive indifference that we have. And you know, sometimes people say, oh well, you know, the government takes care of everything. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, no. governments, they have a hard enough time to live in the mail, let alone <laughs> rescuing children and uh, helping the poor and the sick.
0: Well, that's the, the great divide. In your 20s and 30s, you think the government is there to help. Your desire is to pay your taxes, and uh, you throw all your problems off to the government because you think the government cares. And by the time you're 35 and 40, you finally realize the government doesn't care. They don't care at all. And they have the social services. They have the bureaucracy. They have the rules. And when you really look into what they're doing, what they're doing is just providing a status quo because they don't care.
1: We have a church affiliated orphanage in our county Mm -hmm. uh, that our church is one of the founders. All the churches in the county got together to start this 25 years ago and my first step was okay I'll call the orphanage and we'll you know get it done. They kicked us out, they kicked all visitors out when COVID started and then we had the Biden administration. The Biden administration put in new rules about uh, who can visit and who can volunteer and who can work. And essentially, the Biden administration made orphanages that received government money, federal money, God-free zones. Mm-hmm. So we were allowed in if we promised not to proselytize and promised not to take the children to church and promised not to do anything that we were doing. Well, that didn't work. And now when I called them up, they said, well, there's another rule which says you cannot have mixed uh, age groups. Um Elementary children have to be in one home, middle schools in another, and see high school in a third. And we've had even to break up families, to disperse them across the state because we we have only decided to take only high school age children. So, um, it's just the bureaucracy and the ideology that is being shoved down our throats, even in God's country of Florida is just amazing. It's just amazing and discouraging.
0: It's discouraging because I think in the 50s and 60s and early 70s this is where the church gave up their social role. They decided, you know, they used to be the hospitals, they used to be the community groups, And slowly the government said, well, we can do that for you. Okay, fine. And we can do the hospital thing for you. Okay, fine. And we can privatize this and publicize this. And uh, at a certain point, the church says, whew, good, I don't have to do anything. Well, guess what? (laughs) He came back to bite you. And now we find ourselves in a situation where we're terrified when we have to deal with a a foster situation or an orphanage because we now have to step back and, and follow the government's rules. Where we used to rule at this.
1: Kevin, you you gave me a big hearty laugh as we were doing the pre show because you said, you know, George, you should really want to have more people like this, more problems like that. And I'm having a tough time (laughs) with with a six year old and eight year old and two women in prison and to think that you know, and to have more people like that, but I think your point was that's what the church is there for, to reach the broken and the lost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've so you know, I'm guilty of losing sight of that. Sometimes I think of myself as a chaplaincy for genteel people. You know, huh. uh, my ideal parishioner is a newly retired active couple from the North who have money and time on their hands, mm-hmm. not a crackhead, not a mm-hmm. child lost in the system, not the poor and the lost and the hurt. And, you know, I, I reproach myself for wanting to take the easy path. Yeah, well,
0: I do it all the time, so uh, we're both guilty of that, George. Let's move on to a little bit of news. Uh, we uh, hinted last week that we we're going to talk about the death of Pope Benedict. And uh, it's interesting because we have, as Anglicans, a relationship with Pope Benedict. He supported the early Reformation in the Episcopal Church, which, which or early, late Reformation in the Episcopal Church, which turned out to be the ACNA. It um, festered into the A C N A, and that's interesting because he sent a letter to Plano. Was it Plano one or two? I don't remember which.
1: Plano one. Plano one. Plano
0: one. And l- let's talk a little bit about that and his encouragement of reformation within the Episcopal Church.
1: Following the election of Gene Rob- following the affirmation of the election mm-hmm. of Gene Robinson to the 2003 General Convention, there was the emergency Primates meeting. Uh, at, in London. And then there was the first Plano gathering at a, uh, a Hilton or, a, yeah, at a big Hilton conference center in Plano, Texas, which is a northern suburb of Dallas. And I found you cannot walk around Dallas. It is not a pedestrian city. <laughs> it's that. a driving city. <laughs> the, uh, this was, if you will, the reaction from traditionalists, conservatives, middle roaders number of bishops, large number of clergy involved lay people. We came to this conference, Anglo-Catholics, Evangelicals, Charismatics, High Church, Low Church, Middle of the Road, all those who stood in opposition to the innovations being pushed by the hard left. And We had a surprise where Bob Duncan, who was one of the leading lights of this group, because I think it was first starting what was called the Anglican Communion Network, ACN. I don't know if this arose from the meeting. Arose from yeah. the meeting or whatever. But Bob got up and he read a letter from the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, Joseph Ratzinger, who would become Cardinal of uh, Pope Benedict, where he gave his fraternal greetings and then affirmed the affirmed the fact that we were on the right course. Basically he held out his hand in friendship and solidarity and offered prayers and counsel and this was an electric moment i was in the crowd and i then you know got to you know i think i snapped a photo of the of the letter i asked bob can i take a picture of it you know just to have it this is before cell phones took pictures i had my big old you know camera going we're we're (laughs) we're um but this really was an electric moment uh for the anglo catholics in the room i remember keith ackerman was crying um jack eicher never cries so he didn't uh but the the sense that we were not alone in this struggle and a few years later though he benedict who was on side in all the major issues he basically destroyed the anglo-catholic movement in the episcopal and the roman and the church of england by forming the ordinary yeah because that sucked the st- many of the most fervent Anglo-Catholics out into the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Now, Benedict was bamboozled, I believe. He was given this song and dance, first by the leaders of the traditional Anglican communion, uh, that there are all these Anglicans in America and in England who were just waiting to come back on board. And Benedict I'm not naysaying those who have joined the ordinariate, but it's turned out to be a pretty much of a disappointment.
0: It's, Benedict, it was not thousands, it was handfuls.
1: Yeah, they, they were expecting mm. 50,000 people in the Church of England alone mm-hmm. and right now the ordinary as a whole will fill a good-sized church as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not- uh, it was overstated, overplayed but what it did do was remove some of the more stronger, consistent voices uh, to that helped sort of keep the dike up, hold the walls up, and they sucked them into the into the Catholic Church. And now what we find is that Ordinariate in many ways, it's certainly in England, is the Ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham. The Ordinariate is one option for England. Our Lady of uh, Walsingham the Chair of Saint Peter in the United States, and I think the Southern Cross or something in Australia. There are three of them I'm aware of. And you know, Gavin Ashenden, in his dealings, he's became became a Catholic. He looked at joining the Ordinariate, and essentially they said, "Well, you're too controversial. You t- you know, we just want a happy life. We've we've stopped fighting. We want to be good little girls and boys and keep our prayer books, but." have the certainty of Catholic doctrine and Gavin you're too noisy. Uh, you're fighting the fight way past the point we want to fight. So the ordinary it became almost tame in England when, yeah, uh, it, when it joined yeah. and um, uh, well, I have a personal state because Gavin is our friend and oh, uh, well yeah. in success but yeah. Yeah. when Gavin is treated by the Catholics the way he was treated by the Church of England, you know there's something wrong. Um, it's
0: and but pope benedict knew something was wrong yeah. he originally in my opinion tried to clean the swamp like like a trump did trump mm-hmm. got into offices i'm going to clean the swamp drain the swamp and pope benedict was the same way he saw that there's a swamp there but i think the people he was listening to and trusted were lying to him and he was unable to clean the uh, the swamp
1: Yes, just as Donald Trump's national security advisor and his secretary of state and all these people at the very beginning Worked against him, tried mm-hmm. to sabotage every step he took uh, the, And the Washington blob was against Trump from the moment he appeared on the horizon mm-hmm. So too has Bennett, was Benedict hamstrung by the Vatican, by the Curia And his attempts to reform it, to clean it up one of our viewers from Hong Kong uh, sent me uh, some videos by, uh, I think it's Marshall Taylor, Taylor Marshall. I I apologize for That's messing right. up the name. We don't have and to I know everything. Them in, and I, where he talks about, uh, Mar, uh, Taylor talks about how the, uh, uh Church of England, I'm sorry, Taylor talks about how the Catholic Church mm-hmm. has just been taken into captivity by an out-of-control bureaucracy except Taylor sort of spices it up ten times what I just said with all sorts of words like sodomites and everything. Yeah, he, 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 he's a loud
0: blogger so to speak and so we find ourselves now with with Pope Francis, who is, I'm not gonna say the opposite of Benedict, but I think he has this liberal trend that is fully accepted by uh, the Vatican.
1: Well, I'm told, and I don't know this, but you know what I read and what people who are informed tell me that Francis is part of the wing of the church that they used to call the St. Galen Mafia. Uh, about a place uh, in Switzerland where liberal Catholic cardinals met before the election to basically chart their way forward and Francis was their candidate. And Francis has his uh, wonderful size, um, but also Francis has his blind spots. And, you know, uh, Kevin, do you and I remember that we were told by uh, uh, the Anglican uh, Archbishop of South America I just uh, why am I going blank like that?
0: Yeah, Mechatoa M- 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 or
1: no, what no, no. It? Our friend, uh, the English
0: guy. Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> George Greg Venables.
1: Greg Venables.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. No, no. People was... want to know that last week we declared a dead person alive. So we're going to get mixed up once in a while on names. You know, this isn't. This is. This is like watching the two guys from the Muppets uh, who sat in the balcony, uh, and so. That's your that's your Anglican scriptor today?
1: Well, you know, Greg Venables said he was good friends with uh, Jorge Bergoglio and that he was somebody we Anglicans could work with and could count on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Justin Welby would say the same thing, but I don't think it's quite in the vein that ju- uh, Greg Venables was saying that we could work with this guy. Mm-hmm um i think there's a saying do not attempt to speak arabic in the house of the uh, bedouin which is uh don't try to uh talk about other people's business because you don't fall for expounding on catholic things but i will say benedict was one of the great men of the early 21st century 20th century and his i I think he'll one day be named a Doctor of the Church for his theological contributions and writings. Sure. Yeah.
0: Um, I-, I could so. see that. And, you know, he's followed in the footsteps of uh, Pope John Paul II, and, um, a very popular pope uh, who helped with the uh, the winning of the Cold War. So uh, it's his legacy will certainly be drawn out years from now. He was not a, a seated or sitting pope when he died. Um, I think it was called emeritus or something like that, um, but- Emeritus Pope. It, emeritus Pope. Let's- but, uh, Go
1: but ahead. Here's a funny thing. I've, among official Catholicism, their celebration of the life of Benedict is less fulsome than that in the conservative Anglican or conservative Protestant world. It's, you know, they have a new Prime Minister of Italy who's a conservative. She declared a National Day of Mourning for, for Benedict. The Vatican didn't. Um, they they uh, have not. You know, Francis's funeral sermon. Uh, Rod Dreher. Oh, that, the, that was so bad. Col- oh. The, the uh, very noted columnist, he, Rod is Orthodox. Sure. Uh, but he attended the funeral, mm. and he listened to the sermon. And his point was: this this oration could be given about you know the gardener. It had nothing about Benedict the man. It was just your standard off the shelf, fill in the name here, funeral sermon. And why is the Catholic Church treating, I don't want to say disrespect, but treating not, they don't know the worth of this fellow, or they don't appreciate it, or they don't like it. I I can't tell, I don't know. Well, I, I would also say
0: one of the issues is that Pope Francis is now aged as well. And may not have the energy uh, or wit or ability to put together uh, I mean he's basically just a little older than uh, President Biden I couldn't you know I don't know if he just can't put together a, a good homily at somebody's funeral somebody's funeral, at Pope Benedict's funeral it just may not be his capacity to do so now yeah being honest here uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, I have on my list here Cardinal Pell has also died. And uh, he came on our screens when he was uh, accused for uh, molesting uh, somebody in church and was jailed for 13 months, George.
1: This was a travesty. It really called into question the whole Australian justice system. Uh, And it was, if you will, the height of a witchcraft, which. Frenzy. Hunt, yeah, which hunt. Meet yeah. me true and abuse and all this and that. Mm. Um, in the United States, we had uh, the McMartin preschool trials and some of these things where just fantastical things would be alleged and the courts would believe it. And here, uh, in this particular Pell's case, he's alleged uh, to have molested a, uh, a chorister or an acolyte uh, in between services in a cathedral. Now, you know, the Cardinal's never left alone. And, you you know, you got 10, 15 minutes before the next show starts, and he happened to do this with nobody around, nobody looking, nobody remembering, and only, this. And it was, you know, fantastical.
0: It, it was fantastical, but it went to court, and the original trial court found him guilty and sentenced him, George.
1: Yeah, and it was a, you know, police misconduct, uh, prosecutorial misconduct, judicial animus, and the appeals court threw it out. Not at, But he still had to spend 13 months in prison. And my Catholic-connected friends basically point out that this all happened just as Pell was beginning to take a, a machete to the uh, Curia's uh, pink network and financial corruption. And just as Pell was about to sort of begin the cleaning of the house of the Vatican, uh, these false charges emerge and mm-hmm. the Vatican didn't step in to support or help or whatever. And in fact, uh, the the fellow from the Vatican Bank who is currently on trial, he sent a million Australian dollars to somebody in somewhere in Australia just about that time. And, and it is alleged that this was used to sort of make sure they got rid of George Bell Pell. Yeah, Bell, eh? uh, Pell Pell from an from an ecumenical point of view was much like Benedict. He was a firm Catholic. There was nothing wishy-washy about him. But because of that, conservative Anglicans, conservative Lutherans, and Protestants of all stripes could work with him, knowing here is where we disagree uh, on so many, many issues. But at the same time, knowing that we serve the same Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that our concerns about the cultural collapse around us are things we can work jointly on. We're not going to resolve justification by faith and things like that. Or the the place of Mary. Marian
0: doctrine, no. Marian doctrine.
1: But we can work to make our societies better and safer and Mm -hmm. push back against the Marxist ideology, the woke ideology that seeks to destroy us. Bell was rumored to have prepared a devastating study, critique of the woke corruption within the Vatican and the Curia, Mm -hmm. and then he dies. And so there's some Catholic bloggers who are saying, Isn't this g-? it's like uh, John Paul the First. He dies mysteriously. It's like Godfather Point Godfather three, which is the bad Godfather movie, where you've got the corruption and mysterious deaths of leading clergy in this and that when they're about to expose him.
0: So whether it was helped to his I don't know. It sounds like an upcoming Dan Brown book or something, you know, it should be well,
1: good. You know, here's, here's the thing, you know, nobody really thinks enough of Anglican clergy to kill them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, there's nothing there's any still... of us can say or do from Justin Welby to George Conger that would make anybody resort to murder.
0: No, no, not but... at all. <laughs> um, but don't hear us say that we're defending all uh, Catholic priests that have been accused of misconduct. We are defending a person who was found by a secular court to be innocent of the charges. Um, There are plenty of priests in every denomination who have uh, um, done just the most evil things to uh, people under their charge. And those people should be convicted, serve time, and the the church should find a way to uh, help and support the victims. We do not find this... In Cardinal Pell's case, so just you know, just hear us out. Oh, you're defending? No, no, no. He was found innocent by a secular court. Uh, Let's go on quickly here. Philip North, we mentioned last week, was uh, up to be made bishop. He's been made bishop. There is now some pushback.
1: Yeah, Philip North, Suffragan Bishop of Burnley, yeah, Mm -hmm. is as but the uh, the Prime Minister's office announced. King accepted the election of uh, north to be bishop of uh, blackburn which is in the north uh, west of england uh, it's yeah. sort of like being bishop of scranton you know yeah it's it's not london it's you know <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's 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 not winchester it's <laughs> not you know well <laughs> yeah north a few years ago was to be bishop of sheffield i believe uh correct me if i'm wrong uh Bishop Sheffield, yeah. and the women's groups and the liberals came out very strongly opposed. Um, and under pressure, he withdrew his uh, acceptance of the nomination. Well, this time around, he's been asked a second time, and he's accepted. And the usual suspects have come out. I've got on my screen here a letter from Watch. Uh, women and the Church Affirming, Challenging, Transforming. Uh, which says that uh, we cannot support his position um, because some female clergy would struggle to flourish under his oversight, quote-unquote. So that uh, because uh, he would be a diocesan and not a suffragan, he would be directly responsible for all of these things, they cannot support him. And some of the usual suspects alongside watch have come out in support. But having said that, some of the voices last time around are not there or they've gone the other direction. Giles Frazier, for instance, who is a uh, priest in the diocese, of, I think, Southwark or London, he, he, London area, um, who is prominently on TV and in writing. He, he's, a, he's a character. He's an intelligent, articulate fellow, liberal. He opposed North on the same lines, but this time around, he basically has said, let it go, let it go. He's been crucified once, let's not do it again. And he's shown that he can work it go who he disagrees Uh, with.
0: Well, not just let it go, but let them have one. (laughs) Let the opposition have one, which I think is what happened to uh, the other side 35 years ago. Let them have one. And so... That I think that's where oh. some of the liberals are coming down on. It's it's out in the middle of nowhere, it's out in Scranton. No big deal, let them have one.
1: Now, he's replacing an evangelical, uh, the Bishop of Blackburn, uh, Julian Henderson, who retired and is currently the head of the Church of England Evangelical Council. So maybe Blackburn is where they place the unplaceable. It's the in the diocese of Central Florida, we always have Okeechobee. Uh, that's where you get sent, if we need you, but we don't want you. Um, for our Alkechubbe viewers, I'm totally wrong and I apologize. Uh, for everybody else, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, some of our English viewers have written saying, be wary of this. North uh, learned his lesson the first time round and has sort of pulled in his horns. He is a member of the society which is the group of Anglo-Catholic traditionalists, um, bishops, and he w- because he will play ball. That's one. That's one uh, interpretation. A second is that uh, this is a token nod to the right before the left unloads, saying, "Look, uh, we're going to allow uh, gay marriage, but we'll allow people who are against it." To flourish, mutual flourishing, and look, Philip North, here's an example that we can be trusted. I don't know if that's the yeah, example I, I would choose, but there yeah, you go. I don't. I yeah, I don't buy it
0: because I have a vast understanding of how the Church of England works. Yeah, you and I have seen it now for uh, decades, but I want to bring up, you know. Our number one story of the week, and that is uh, reparations are going to be paid to the Puritans who were forced to leave the Church of England uh, back and help uh, colonize uh, America. Oh, wait, I got that wrong. Justin Welby has announced he's going to give a 100 million pounds to those who are victims of the Church of England during the slave trade.
1: Wow. Yeah, this is virtue signaling at its worst and most inept. Uh, well, church commissioners t- to look into their... Uh, their Basically, did they have any money that arose from slaves? And the Englands did a deep dive through their books, and they found that for 19 years in the 7th century, they owned stock in the South Sea Company. Mm-hmm. And out of this, Wellie and the people in charge are basically saying we'll give 100 million in reparations for those who suffered, who are ancestors of those who suffered from the transatlantic slave trade. Now the big Archbishop of the West Indies, uh, Howard Gregory, he thinks this is a great idea because he's saying hey, we're the black people in the West Indies, send it to us, we can certainly use the money and they can. Or the bishop of West Africa, Archbishop of West Africa, and in Ghana and the and uh, those nations, yeah, they don't have any problem with the Church of England sending them a hundred million pounds uh, to help build up those churches. Here's a problem: that's not going to happen. It's going to be paid to activists and to think tanks yep. and to consultants and to perpetuate wokeness. Now, Kevin, your little joke at the beginning, my family. Was chased out of England as separatists, and first we had to flee to Holland, and then we had to get on this little rickety ship and go to the go to Massachusetts, which is freezing and cold. And you know, even before the slave trade, there were good English Anglicans who were forced out of their church who became separatists, then separatists, then pilgrims, and I am an ancestor, and therefore I should be in line ahead of anybody who receives money for slave trades because my pains, ancestrally speaking, predate the slave trading.
0: Uh, Well, hold on, let's reverse the timeline. I have uh, press releases every couple months from six or seven people who have been demanding to meet with Justin Welby about uh, the victimhood they have suffered under the Church of England in the last uh, dozen years and he won't meet with them. Are they going to get reparations?
1: No, and are the abuse victims getting real reparations? Are they getting treatment? They're getting help. Mm-hmm. Are the people who are currently, you know, in a tort legal system, uh, deserving of yes. support? Are they being helped? Absolutely not. Now, mm-hmm. this this uh, this gift to the left, this gift to the woke, from Welby has gone down like a lead balloon. The Daily Telegraph has an editorial saying this is stupid. When the Church of England is on the verge of collapse, to use its money to throw away like that is just an appalling act of poor stewardship. And the Save the Parish, uh, Marcus Walker, Save the Parish is the group that is fighting the grand centralization of the Church of England, breaking up the parishes into clusters and all this and that. Marcus Walker has a public letter that he's released, which is telling, and Marcus Walker is not a conservative uh he would be on the liberal side of the the slate and he says you know what do these people think they're doing i'll read a portion of it to the letter to you which you can read in full on anglican Inc. diocese after diocese is embarking upon schemes to merge parishes into huge mega parishes while reducing clergy numbers to unsustainable levels and all for the diocesan deficits around one or two million pounds he then offers examples where uh, Leicester is going to go from 100 clergy to 80 clergy and 234 parishes to 20 minister, minister communities. And they, you know, that money, uh, it, the, the, all the studies point that decline comes not from lack of giving money to woke causes, but from lack of on-site clergy. You can't expect a church to grow when one guy's got to cover seven churches over a a large area and has no ability to offer in-depth pastoral, spiritual, liturgical care, where he's just a traveling uh, liturgy machine. Um, well,
0: you were telling me that there was a, a sum of 176 million pounds spent on uh, church flourishing, and they claim they had 13,000 people join the church because of that is, is that correct yeah St-
1: strategic development fund this was another one of these top-down grand ideas that mm. was going to bring in 80 000, 89, 000 people for the investment of about 100 million dollars where it's 176 million pounds i'm sorry not dollars pounds 176 million pounds is out the door and they can only count thirteen thousand new bodies so hold on hold on hold on
0: hold on hold on Let's do the math here. All right. So if I have 176 million divided by 13,000, that that's 13,538 pounds per individual. George, <laughs> that's that's a well, you know, it's good stewardship because you're
1: bringing people into the kingdom or into
0: the church. So, I don't know.
1: Kevin, when it, when you pay 20,000 to hire a curate. They
0: could hire what
1: ten thousand curates and pay ten
0: thousand curates, Yep, nine thousand. Uh, yeah. With
1: the, with with the money they spend on the strategic development fund. Um, uh, Walker's letter concludes: the church has shown that it has the money when it wants for matters that it cares about. Before the church can find a hundred million for this new project, it needs to show that it can sort out its own house, sort its own house out, and fund its front line. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This Walker is absolutely right on. Um, Gavin Ashenden has spoken on this on TV with Calvin Robinson, a uh, friend of this show, as is Gavin, about how just incredibly foolhardy this reparation game is. Now, in the United States, we have some commission in California wanting to give a quarter million dollars to black people, uh, for reparations in California. California is already broke, and if they want to spend their money that way, that's fine with them. But, uh, and I support it, that. I, I mean,
0: if you as a, a state or an organization want to pay reparations, fine. But what we really need to be seeking after the age of slavery is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And in order for this process to work, um, The people we seek forgiveness from need to forgive us and then we can talk about maybe moving into the age of reparations but until you you quantify this into a kingdom realm of i we seek your forgiveness you're you're just paying blood money
1: and in one sense i don't think the idea the principle is wrong but i don't think money should be handed to people i think we should be investing in education opportunity mm-hmm. in business development. Mm-hmm. Um, once upon a time Florida and the South in general and Texas had terrible reputations for the quality of their public education and we still spend far less than northern cities and places. Now the joke is that Florida has one of the highest uh, returns per dollar as measured by testing results and student achievement of any of the states in the country and we don't do any of this woke nonsense. We don't have, you know, Stanford University now has more administrators than students. It's got 14,000 students and 16,000 administrators and only 2,000 faculty. This is an example of wokeness going crazy if money just thrown away. If money were invested in trade schools, in, you know, funding, uh, you know, small enterprise if they want to spend money, spend it that way, and alleviate this, the economic inequality that uh, persists in some parts of the country, mm-hmm. but don't, you know, don't think you're going to solve a darn thing just by throwing it at race and color.
0: and I, you know, I can't, I no longer support the, the college academia here in America, uh, so I can't say just
1: give them scholarships. Uh, that's going to make the situation I'm not talking about I'm not not, not funded <laughs> at the university system far from it um, we uh, my daughter's had a friend who was in their class with them father was a, a minister he was a chaplain at an episcopal school down in Vero and she upon graduation from high school went to Bard College which is a very nice episcopal college in the suburbs mm-hmm. of New York City and she borrowed eighty thousand a year for four years to fund her education. She was a jazz vocals major.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't hear that. You, you said something about a STEM education. What she have?
1: Jazz vocals, music, and her. And she focused on jazz as a college degree. She now works in a Starbucks in Asheville, North Carolina she will never pay off that student loan, never, never. I mean, it's not even, you know, 320,000 and the interest at five, six, 7% a year on top of that, it's never gonna be paid off. And you know, when, but we, we fund the theft, essentially theft from the government coffers for places like Bard College to offer degrees in jazz vocals, instead of teach training people. Uh, we have a young man in our my congregation graduated from a high school, went to the local technical college, community college for a year, and has started an apprenticeship with Otis Elevator Company. When he's done this apprenticeship, he's going to be making about a hundred thousand dollars a year as an elevator technician. Now this is not glamorous, but this man will immediately in his mid to late 20s step into the middle class, be able to afford a home, be able to care for a family. And we don't have enough technical people. We don't have enough uh, mechanics and tool and die makers and uh, things of that nature. In my modest well,
0: not No, but so we don't. Yeah, yeah. And for a long time, at least the last 20, 25 years, we've really promoted a four year education. Uh, we did to our kids. We said, you got to get a four year degree somewhere, and we, we will help fund it if it's a STEM education. Um, and so we, we really promoted that with our kids and, uh, our friends of the same age promoted it to their kids because the college college degree is your way into a good career. That's what we promoted. That doesn't exist so much anymore. I'm seeing so many people who graduate college and go and live with mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's changed tremendously. Uh, in fact, I was just looking. In 1985, the tuition to University of Wisconsin was $900 a semester. Mm-hmm. It's now 40000 for a year.
1: That's crazy. That's the, state's, that's the state school.
0: That's the state school. school. That's crazy. And then books, board, room. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get a girlfriend, that's going to cost you money. You know, it just it just never, it never ends. So... Ah, all right let's move on to our next topic of the day uh oh the back to the church of england they're going to be discussing at the house of bishops uh, uh to f- a meeting th- th- let me start that over january 20th the college uh the house of bishops and the church of england will meet to finalize the plans around gay marriage i don't know what that means though are they going to living put
1: love and faith llf <laughs> Bishop fraud,
0: are, but yes,
1: <laughs> they'll have their final uh, gathering uh, mm-hmm. before they go to the general Synod in February. And so right now they're doing the last minute maneuvering. Uh, Bishop Inge Inge, in Inge of Worcester has put out uh, Inge is one of the five bishops who's already come out publicly for changing and supporting mm-hmm. gay marriage. He's put out his justification. Uh, You'll be able to read that on Anglican Inc. Martin Davies, a a theologian in the UK, has put out his rejoinder basically saying, oh, come on, this is so weak, it's not worth even discussing. So we're seeing the last-minute maneuvers before the meeting of General Synod, uh, before the meeting of the House of Bishops, to hammer out what the grand compromise is going to be. There's been as much outside the meeting taking place as inside. After the first meeting last fall, we had the strategic leaks to the church times saying it's a done deal, it's gonna happen. Now, what we have since heard sort of behind closed doors is no, it's not a done deal. But if but the church, the those leaking to the church times wanted to so discourage the conservatives that they would basically throw up their hands and say, well, let's try to get the best deal we can rather than hold the line. Mm-hmm. We're not involved. We don't have first-hand knowledge, uh, so we can't comment with any intelligence. Not that we comment with any intelligence on any topic. <laughs> yeah, gee, <George. laughs> but, you'll probably hear whispers and rumors and attempts to spin and manipulate uh, the other bishops, the media, the people in the pew in the coming days. So, let's hold tight, folks, and see what... January 20th brings, if they even announce it uh, that day or the next day. Or... Well, now, recent
0: memory, last 10, 12 years, they were always doing some studies at the Church of England and putting together some papers. And I don't remember the, the, the names of all these papers and reports over the last 10 years, but they've always come down, in the end, on the biblical side of marriage, on the, the traditional side of the church. And I, I, do I hold out hope
1: that they'll do it again? I don't know. Well, in the past, you had an Archbishop, George Carey, who was firmly in the biblical camp. Mm-hmm. Then you had an Archbishop, Ron Williams, who was in the liberal camp, and needed to have theological integrity, and we weren't there yet. Right. And, and now we've got somebody... Who doesn't care about theological integrity, Justin Welby, and has publicly stated I, I can't. I just want the church to hold together no matter what. That's the most dangerous position to be, where, you know, he's willing to make a deal uh, of some sort and yeah. not stand on principle.
0: Yeah, if Justin Welby sits down at a table and says, What do I have to do to keep the church together? I think that's where the problem is. Mm-hmm. What do we do to keep the kingdom and the gospel uh, prevalent and active in society? It's a little different discussion. But let's move on to our next story. The ACNA House of Bishops met down here in Florida. I missed them, but they were over in Melbourne, and they have welcomed new bishops into the House of Bishops, George.
1: Yes, the College of Bishops met in uh, Melbourne, but they stayed in Melbourne Beach, which is a nicer place. That's nice uh place. And they welcomed from, uh, the, from the Church of Nigeria, Bishop Felix Orji and his suffragan, Scott Healy. They were released by the Church of Nigeria and Bishop Orji's diocese uh, is now officially part of the ACNA. And they uh, endorsed the elections of the Bishop of the Mid-Atlantic, Chris Warner, uh, John Guernsey's old diocese, and William Jenkins of the Diocese of the Northeast, and New England of the Reformed Episcopal Church. So, four new bodies welcomed into the College of Bishops for uh, the ACNA. Nothing else has been publicly released and uh, I'm not aware of any uh, great scandals or crises, but they They never did figure out what they were gonna do with the church for the sake of others because the bishop went on a sabbatical and that sort of was put on the back burner. I don't know. And they've got uh, the, the upper Midwest I, thing cooking. So there are stuff's going to come out. We just haven't been fully... Bin- there,
0: as we're all aware, as reported here on AIM there was a secret conclave uh, in... Asheville North Carolina a couple months ago and we we haven't heard any rumors out of that and you're not supposed to hear any rumors out of a conclave of course and they've had their house of bishops and there's a few things that George and I think should be on the back burner that they should talk about certainly uh uh quite uh, Todd Hunter's diocese and, and a few other things but we'll have to see what happens you know otherwise it everything's rosy and we'll have to see what happens George.
1: Well, All right. Rose, the public, public face is rosy. We're just mm-hmm. trying to find where the rash is.
0: <laughs> the rash. Okay. Uh, the Diocese of the Southern Cross continues to grow. That's a uh, story down under almost.
1: Yeah. In Carnes in North, que- North Queensland, uh, Diocese of mm-hmm. North Queensland, a parish withdrew uh, and has joined the Diocese of the Southern Cross. It's going to call itself Northern Hope Anglican Church. So, essentially, they just walked out of the building, handed the keys to the Bishop of North Queensland, and are now under uh, Glenn, uh, Bishop Glenn. Oh, Kevin, I'm getting old. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's right. Not Glenn Davies. Glenn Davies. Oh, How yes,
0: you? yes, yes. That's right.
1: <laughs> See, I can picture these people in my head, and I know their first name, but I can't... Oh my Glenn Davies is the bishop of the Southern Cross which yeah. is the break which is the breakaway parishes from those churches that have those dioceses that have gone round the bend on uh, and their clergy cannot remain in good faith with the current bishop they have so it's growing it's steady and we expect more to come so the, there's continued growth in the diocese of the Southern Cross in Australia we wish them well and all their We do. We wish them more strength and power than our brain cells.
0: Indeed. All right, final story. Tanzania has an upcoming primate election. Now, this is important because Tanzania was a forerunner, uh, kind of first province into the GAFCON movement, and uh, was a GAFCON supporter until they switched primates. And then we, we discovered kind of a, a crack in the the cornerstone that is gafcon and that is that it's not done at a province level it's done at a primates level the primates have to agree to go on to gafcon but the provinces really don't have a relationship with gafcon other than through the primate and yep. I, you and i talked about this maybe seven years ago i said, oh that there's a problem because we switch primates all the time all the time and tanzania has probably gone through three primates since gafcon one george Is this going to be a pro-Gafcon primate?
1: Well, the election is shaping up as to be between Stanley Hote and uh, the current Archbishop, Mambo Mendolwa. Now, both would be considered conservative, uh, but Stanley is definitely a Gafcon guy. If he were elected, he would bring Tanzania back into the Gafcon orbit. Uh, Mendolwa is as conservative as Stanley on moral uh, issues, but he likes to sit on the fence. He's not willing to break with Canterbury. Tanzania is a very poor country, and receives a great deal of support from liberal uh, groups like the uh, USPG and Anglican Diocese, Church of England Diocese. So he wants to sort of keep a hand, uh, keep a foot in both camps. Stanley may follow the Mokiwa line. now. There are accusations being leveled uh, of misconduct against both sides. It's it's not the cleanest campaign that we're going to see. Do I have any per- information to support any of the charges? No, so I won't I won't repeat them. Yeah, but we'll right. just you know we just remember you know remember our problem with the first Tanzanian Gafcom primate Valentin Mokiwa was that he was dirty, uh, corrupt. Yeah and we had heard that but you know kevin and i can't prove it and then when he was defeated all the corruption stuff came out and was released publicly um but it's hard it's hard it's almost like a meeting in the catskills a mafia dons sometimes bishops meetings uh you know uh uh but uh like for instance, the bishop of Zanzibar, Michael Hafid. Michael Hafid is crooked. Uh, there have been lawsuits against him, attempts to remove him, and the National Church House of Bishops said you have to retire, have to have mediation. And Michael said, "No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it." There was an incident at the
0: cathedral. There, I mean.
1: Oh yeah, this is this is the guy where he got, in a, you know. He and his guys got in a fight with the cathedral parishioners, and his uh, his uh, mitre was knocked off. And there was wrestling on the ground for the bishop's mitre and everything. Um, you don't get that in Orlando, yeah, nope, not but, much. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this, you know, it it is difficult to get rid of bad bishops anywhere. Look how long it took to get rid of Charles Benison. In Upper Shire, we've well, got that wonderful uh, bishop. Like,
0: did they get rid of him? I thought he just kind of retired out.
1: No, Benison was uh, Bennison was out. You know, was helped out the door. Oh, helped out the door. Okay, right. Um, but in Malawi, we've reported about the bishop who was found uh, guilty of all sorts of bad things, and mm-hmm. and then uh, the diocese said you had to go. A province said you have to leave. He said, "Fine, I've got a contract." And if you want to buy me out, it will cost you a million dollars. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the province said, we don't have a million dollars. He said, fine, I'm staying. And then they the, the Archbishop uh, pulled a little, pulled a quick one where the uh, Bright Molasses skipped a meeting with the Archbishop to discuss his fate. And he said, ah, you skipped a meeting. You're now a heretic. I excommunicate you. You're out of the job. And we don't have to pay any severance. Well, the labor court in uh, Zomba, in uh, Malawi, said, uh uh uh, you got to pay him a million bucks. He's got a legal contract. So Otherwise, the bishop
0: found a lawyer, huh?
1: Bishop found a lawyer. He's a good American Episcopalian, Brighton Molossah. So he's still in place. He can't get rid of the guy. Wow. Incredible. Oh, Can I have man. a personal prayer? This, this Saturday, we elect a new bishop in Central Florida. Huh? And, uh, Uh, we have a great candidate, an okay candidate, and a problematic candidate. So pray that the Holy (laughs) Spirit moves us. Amen. Pray the Holy Spirit moves those there to elect someone who will be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, who will keep Florida a bastion against uh, uh, the innovations and corruptions of the National Church. And pray we don't go through all the hassle that Florida has gone through and trying to elect, trying to keep Charlie Hope.
0: Oh, man. I mean, Diocese of Central Florida is one of the the, the few remaining conservative dioceses. And we pray that you would elect a bishop who would use that voice, Mm -hmm. who would stand firm and maybe not be quiet or docile, but would say, no, we know is appropriate.
1: Here's the funny thing. God works in mysterious ways. The Holy Spirit can work even against the most uh, sinister plans plans of men. The process in Central Florida has been pretty dreadful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not been transparent. It's not been very good. You couldn't ask questions of the candidates. Everything was pre-written. It was an 815 fix, if you will. Yet, the Holy Spirit has raised up one and a half candidates who stand fully in the tradition of John Howe and company Mm -hmm. so you know you know you can't you know God may not quite God may be done with a good part of the Episcopal Church but he's not done with us yet down here down here way down here
0: all right that is a full show what do we have? 56 minutes that's great that's a that's a good show George let's move on I'm Kevin Coulson
1: And I'm George Conger, and you've been watching episode 781 of Anglican Unscripted.